I don't want you to see me as a Danny Downer right here. However, you got a great song like this, a lot of truth to it. But let's set the stage. In just a few minutes, we're going to leave this place and we're going to go back out there. Are we going to take this with us? Do we have it in our heart? Do we believe the report? Because when you leave here, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. And depending on where you go and who you're with is depending on what you're going to hear. But we know collectively, as a culture now, you're going to hear a lot about death. You're going to hear about killings. You're going to hear about murder. You're going to hear about rape. You're going to hear about division. You're going to hear about fights. Some of us are addicted to these things, and we can't wait to get into our social media and find out who said about whom. And we're going to try to keep up with reality TV series, which is anything but reality. I got two amens on that. You can get addicted to this stuff, folks. And if you don't think it won't have an effect on you, you're fooling yourself. If you fill your life with negativity, hate, bickering, war, the Bible tells us in the latter days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. So we think, well, that's just strategic theaters of operation out here. And many times it is nation against nation or, or country against country. But there's wars that go on inside our homes, our schools, our businesses, our lives. It's a spirit that's driving the division that we're dealing with. One of those things that we have to address is that thing called offense. Not the football team trying to score a touchdown. Offenses. John Bevere brought it out the best several years ago. Many of you bought the book, heard the sermon, The Bait of Satan. Being offended. All of us remember as children, if we had the privilege of being outside and we'd want to catch uh, an animal, we would get our little box and we would prop it up with a stick and then have a string attached and we'd go back and hide and wait till that thing went in to try to get the bait that we had in there, that cheese, peanut butter, whatever it was. And as they got under there, we would pull the string that would pull the trap stick away. That's exactly the picture of offense. We get caught it looks so enticing, so mesmerizing, so enchanting. Oh, I want to know what somebody's talking about. And we have no idea the roof's about to cave in on us. We're trapped. We're snared. So we come into uh, this season of the High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah. And now we're coming into Yom Kippur, atonement. What does it mean? Well, the title I want to deal with today is one that I'm sure we've all heard when we were younger, especially. Watch your tone. You ever have your mother look at you after you sassed her and she said, watch your tone, young lady. How many amens do I have? Amen. The teacher, watch your tone. What does I have to do with offense, what does I have to do with quarreling? What does I have to do with fighting? What's your tone with me? Well, you pick up on that word atonement. It is the same. Atonement is all about getting the right tone, getting synergy, getting harmony, 
getting something united. We know the high holy day, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, is a feast of atonement, the day of atonement. Again, all the days of all of repentance coming up, will the high priest's sacrifice be acceptable unto God so that the people can be freed up from previous tone issues, problems, quarrels, sin, and be acceptable for the next year? Knowing that the sacrifice was for all the people. Of course, we know that the high priest had to be prepared himself, had to make sure he was pure. When it comes to us, we find ourselves now so many years removed from any of these things that we see regularly on television or any kind of studies. Uh, what does a high priest have to do with me? How many knows the Word of God's already addressed that? And we still have a high priest this day, and his name is Jesus. And we know that he made sacrifice one time because it was so perfect. It is for us, again, of course, coming to him. So this word atonement actually only shows up in the New Testament one time. When you look at atonement, you see it many times in the Old Testament, only one time in the New Testament because it introduces a word that we use readily. Romans chapter 5 verse 11 tells us that that word atonement means reconciliation. Watch your tone. In other words, somebody's giving a warning out. You and I are starting to have a problem. I don't like your tone. How many wives have looked at their husbands and said, I don't like your tone? How many husbands looked at their wife wish they could say, I don't like your tone? Yeah, you're still with me. <laughs> the way to see this word, and Paul gets, spells it out for us. You can't preach it. You can't teach it in a better way than he's already done. You just phonetically take that word apart at one meant. At one. At any moment. In this moment. Reconciliation. How many of us have faced too many situations where there was somebody that one time was so close to us? They were our dearest friend. They were our trusted friend. I could share anything with them. They actually were my wife, my husband, my brother, my sister, my parent, my best friend, whatever the case. But something happened. And you were broke apart torn apart, drifted apart, maybe. You're no longer at one You're no longer reconciled to them. And it brings up the subject that atonement's all about. You see, before there could be reconciliation, there has to be forgiveness. That's the message of this hour. This word forgiveness is a noun. It's dealing with the subject. And when we look unto God to be forgiven, to receive forgiveness, we understand what it means to be absolved from my sin. 
If I asked for a raise of hands, how many have sinned? Every hand would go up. If I asked how many have sinned before church started this morning, every hand would go up. Maybe. If I ask in, in, in just the distant past how many have sinned, missed the mark, every hand will go up. Why? Because there are sins of omission, sins of commission. Some things, yeah, I would never do it, but there's things we should have done and we didn't do it. And the same is sin. So all these offenses, all these things to be absolved, to be pardoned, to, to cancel my, and here's another big word, my indebtedness. Have you ever owed somebody something? But the interest was just, you couldn't even get that paid. Will I ever be able to reconcile this account? I am so in debt to this person. I'm so in debt to you, God. To hear somebody's voice, whether mortal or God himself, I'm canceling the account. To be forgiven. To be released. Turn with me to Luke. Matter of fact, those in-house, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? You're turning to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read beginning at verse 41. But leading up to that, you will see already what is happening here. It is a picture that gets played out all the time. It is a picture, in this case, where Jesus is invited by a Pharisee to come into his house. And already we're bristled up when we hear that word Pharisee. They're all jerks, right? Not necessarily. But in this case, here is one that is living by the law of the letter. And he invites Jesus in. What was his intent? We don't know. Was it just to get the... Into the mind of Jesus, maybe. Was he trying to set him up? Who knows? But in this case, he invites him in, and Jesus says yes. And the picture is a wonderful picture where they're not just sitting at a formal dining room. Back then, the table was basically just a few inches off the ground. They would recline around the table. It's all what us men just dream of, just lying there and have somebody give us grapes, and we're eating them. <laughs> and it, the Bible takes the time to say that Jesus is reclining. Somebody ruined the picture. A sinner walked in, and it was a woman. Oh. Everybody say, oh, my. <laughs> and she heard that Jesus was in the house, and she comes in. By this time, he is standing, and she comes over. Now, there's another incident where something similar happened. But in this case, it isn't one of Lazarus' sisters. This is a woman who was a prostitute. And she comes in and comes behind him because she knows her low estate. And she is crying so profusely, she, begins, she wets his feet. And she takes her hair, and she dries those tears, cleaning his feet. And then she does the most incredible thing. She kisses his feet. Well, you would think anybody would be moved. Such compassion. Not the Pharisee. Huh! If Jesus was a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. 
Shows me he doesn't know what's going on. Oh, contraire. Verse 41, a certain, Jesus is teaching the Pharisee now. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when neither could pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon Pharisee answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, yes, they're forgiven. Wow. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You may be seated. What an incredible picture. And what you can't read into that is it's because she did all these things in remorse that she was forgiven. No, he forgave her. But this is her reaction and the truth that Jesus is revealing we have to be reminded of. This need of forgiveness but also knowing what it is to be forgiven. I came across a poem. I love poetry. Those of you that are educators or have been educators, you'll love this one. It simply says, beginning anew. He came to my desk with quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new leaf for me, dear teacher? I have spoiled this one. I took his leaf, all soiled and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. Then into his tired heart I smiled. Do better now, my child. Then I went to the throne with trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I have spoiled this one. He took my day, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. Then into my tired heart he smiled. Do better now, my child. Have you been there? Was it this morning? How many of us had a bad day yesterday? And waking up this morning say, Lord, I don't want to repeat what I did yesterday. Can you give me a new day? And where we struggle is, but we remember what we did yesterday. And to know we have a master who can take the spoiled the soiled and the blotted and remove them and give us a new one. For many of us, salvation came at an early age and we understood praying the right words and believing in our heart Jesus is Lord and being forgiven of our sins all those many years up until that time, which was 10 or 11 because we were 11 years old. Well, what about us now as adults? 
Does it still work? Will God forgive me as a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 70-year-old? Ah, have we ever heard this expression, there's no fool like an old fool? Does God still forgive? Can he forgive? Will he forgive? Will he cancel my account? Will he absolve my sin? I've practiced this sin. I've honed this sin. I've polished this sin. I've lived it out forever. But I'm so weary with it, but it has entrenched me so much, encapsulated me so much, It's clawed its way into my life. It stays before me morning, noon, and night. But I'm so weary. Can he forgive me? Will he forgive me? Can I be at one minute with God again? Can I be reconciled to God after what I've done? I'm no longer that 11-year-old little child in Sunday school, in children's church, at youth camp. I'm an adult I have sinned. Can we really get along? This thing of being forgiven begins with admitting that we've sinned. That's hard to do. I had a woman come to me when I was pastoring in Scottsdale, Arizona. Remember it like yesterday. Because I'd known this woman for several weeks as she would come to services and finally she wanted a meeting with the pastor. She came to me and this is what she shared. She said, I have been married three times. There's been other men other than those three. I have six children through those marriages. She says, I don't have a relationship with any of them. They've all alienated me. They've all left me. She said, I call and they won't take my call. I send a letter, they will not return the letter. They hate me. She said, I believe God hates me too. I come to church, I get nothing out of it. I don't hear anything, I don't see anything, I don't feel anything. As we shared more, the Holy Spirit just guided me and I finally got back and traced it and I said, tell me about your dad. And when I did, it was like all the brakes hit. The father had wronged her. And she couldn't forgive him. And it festered. And it grew. And it touched everything in her life. And finally I said, did you ever forgive him? She said, I can't, he's dead. I said, oh, you see, it's all about you right now. Not him. You've got to let it go. Release it. Absolve it. Cancel out the debt. I'm telling you, it's one of those times I can never forget as long as I have my right mind to literally watch the countenance of a person change immediately. There was a transformation in an instant. And finally, as she was crying... (laughs) I called her by name and I said, what has just happened for you? I watched her lips try to form words and all that came out was, wow. I gave her a few more seconds, spoke to her again and she 
formed the words again, but all that came out was, wow. Several minutes later, I talked to her again, and all she could say is, wow. She stayed in my office over an hour, and all she could say was, wow. I knew this woman for another year before I came back to Georgia to pastor. I watched reconciliation happen. Several of those children, not all, but most of them, she had built bridges back. They built bridges as well. She was transformed, changed. Why? Because of forgiveness. Because, again, of being forgiven and getting to the place of accepting that I'm forgiven. The devil has snared so many of us and we live in yesteryear, the ghosts of it, the phantoms of it, the memories of it. But I'm here to tell you today, once again, but God, the blood of Jesus washes our sins and removes them from us and casts them not to be brought against our account again. The tone of relationship, the harmony, to be at one again with God. How many of us would say, I want that again? I remember a time when altars were open and I would be there and just tarry in his presence. I would make an altar at home. I would tarry in his presence and I just loved the music I would listen to. I enjoyed opening up my word. But you see, something's happened along the way where we've got to look. Why aren't we at one? He offers it. The high priest has made the sacrifice. You see, we've talked about forgiveness, and it's a noun. And being forgiven, that's a noun. But there's a verb form, and that is simply forgiving. Am I willing to forgive? These two both had debts, one much larger than the other in the account, in the ledger. But they both were forgiven. Which one would show the greatest homage? Which one understood it the best? Well, I guess it was the one that owed more. And this is why Jesus would say that that's exactly what just happened. This woman knew she was a sinner. And knew that her sins were legion. And knew that she couldn't save herself. But maybe sometimes those of us that, as far as the ledger goes, we haven't been near as bad as so-and-so. And we haven't done as many things as so-and-so. We haven't at least done it as many times as so-and-so. And we find ourselves justifying and coming to a place where, as long as compared to most of these church people, because they're all hypocrites anyhow. You ever heard that? I know some of the people on the praise team. I do better than them. And them sorry preachers, well, they're all in it for the money. You know that. Oh, you don't think I've ever heard that? You see what the enemy will do? The trap stick is there. I got offended in church, so I'm done with church. It wasn't even in a church building, but that person working with me said they were a Christian, but you know what they did to me? Can I get to the place where I can forgive them? You can't do it in yourself. It isn't by might or power. It's by his spirit. 
to realize, but what has God done for me? He's promised me everlasting life. Can it get any better than that? Let's remember the gospel again, church. It changed our life. It's changing our life, and it can change somebody else's life. What did Jesus really mean by loving an enemy? That means I've got to forgive an enemy. Wow. What about that ex-wife? Both of them. All three of them. If you're visiting, this is who I am, folks. I'm going to get in your stuff and keep it real. We're people who need a God who doesn't just come in when we're sweet little kids. He remains in our life. He walks with us. He guides us. He directs us. He loved us so much he died on a cross for each and every one of us. Can I forgive myself? Well, how many times am I supposed to forgive this jerk? I don't want to hear it, Lord. Seventy times seven? In the same day? I'll tell you where a lot of us are. I read the story of a particular Irishman. He had been a, a boxer for years. Very successful boxer. But along the way, he gave his heart to Jesus, became a Christian. It wasn't long after that, he felt a call to preach and be a pastor. So now he was pastoring. Well, he went to a new city, so he thought, I don't have a building yet. I'll set up a tent. The evangelists do that, set up the tent. And a couple of thugs came by. They didn't know anything about him or what was going on. And they came in heckling and chiding and trying to stir up problems. Finally, he had his first service. And one of them come up and said, what are you going to do if I just hit you? See, they had no idea who he had been. And took a swipe at the pastor. Brushed his cheek. The pastor just looked at him. And shook it off. Tried to ignore it. The man came back at him again. And hit him again. In the other cheek. About that time. The pastor swiftly took his coat off. And threw it down. He said. My Lord has given me no further instruction after this. <laughs> Whoop. There's a contingency that Jesus taught us in Matthew 6. As we pray, Lord, forgive me of my debt as I have already forgiven my debtor. Lord, I come to prayer meeting. I'm coming with sacrifice and gifts. And he said, eh. Just leaves your gifts here. They'll be here. Nobody will steal them. Just go reconcile first and then come back. Wow. Carrie, would you come, please? I had the privilege of a visual of this back in 93. Sheila and I and Aaron went to Oahu 
Sheila and I were to lead camps for the church of God. I took the teens. She had the children. Aaron was 11 years old, 10 years old. After the camp was over, before flying back, of course, you know, I love history. I was able to go to Fort Island there, getting ready to cross over in the tugboats to take you over to the floating memorial over there, USS Arizona. As we were awaiting our turn, a man, he must have been in his early 70s, maybe mid-70s. As we gathered together and got ready to get in the individual boats, he started to speak. And he looked around and he said, I recognize, as I always do as I'm here, that many of you, if not over half of you, are Japanese. He said, I want you to know that there was a time in my life that I hated you with every fiber of my body. He said, because the reason you're going over to the memorial of the USS Arizona, he said, I was here that day. I was on the Missouri. I made it my intention to find as many Japanese as I could after that day and kill them. I had a right to hate you. He said, but I'm here to tell you today something changed. Jesus Christ came into my life. And he took out that old stony heart and he gave me a new heart. And I'm here to tell you today that I forgive you, anybody you were related to, or the whole day. I won't hold on to it any longer. Wow. What an incredible sermon to a captive audience. Only the power of Jesus Christ can forgive at that level. Would you stand with me today?